Welcome to the Lost in Translations podcast. I am joined once again by Derek from the YouTube channel Read the World, and we are talking about Hurricane Season by Fernanda Mature, translated by Sophie Hughes, and this is shortlisted for the International Booker Prize. Welcome back to Lost in Translations. I'm joined again with Derek Maine from Read the World. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here. Well, now it's a proper episode. We want to probably dive into your reading history first. How did it all start? Well, I was always a really, when I was a kid, I tore through everything that I could find. We used to have this like, scholastic book club did you guys did you have that in australia we we had scholastic book fair yeah we used to get those little brochures with all the books that they had yeah i went to a religious school and there was some crossing out that happened in that (laughs) oh wow (laughs) it was wild yeah weird that is wild and that is that could probably be its own episode right there like that little aside that you just <laughs> but i would save up all my money read everything so yeah i read everything loved it and then when i was in you know my late teens to early 20s that was when most my reading fell off the most you know just because i was you know living life doing other stuff it wasn't as important to me at that time and I was reading more like three books a year which now is crazy to me you know so when I picked it back up though in earnest I was really heavily focused on well I mean the the book that got me started again as embarrassing to say it is now was Infinite Jest so Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace was the book that got me back into serious reading and so I followed that's where I went to DeLillo. That's where I went to Pension. I really used that as a, a sort of, you know, diving off point to get those American kind of white, all white, um, you know, men that were discussing suburbia, you know, and I got into Raymond Carver and I was really into John Cheever and, and some of this stuff, by the way, I, like still love. So I'm not de- de- denigrating it at all, but any you would recommend Falconer by John Cheever is one of my 10 favorite books ever. I mean, I, I love that book. Uh, Libra by Don DeLillo is tremendous. That's sort of the historical retelling of Oswald with JFK. I haven't read that one. I really like Underworld. Underworld's great. Yeah. I mean, white noise is great. I mean, you're not going to, you know, those, that little period, you know, yeah. really good. Um, and when it comes to pension, actually, like, I am not, kind of surprisingly, I'm not the biggest fan of his work. I really love Inherent Vice, though, which is later stuff. It's not typical of his stuff. And I recommend the movie 100%, you know, like... It's- that's his noirish one, isn't it? Yep, it's his noirish one. Yep, and and but it's it's such a good end of an era story, you know, because it kind of like ends the drug addled seventies. But so I got into all that kind of writing and followed those rabbit holes and was reading a lot. And then I think essentially what happened was I started to feel that everything I was reading was a validation of what I already thought or understood of the world. And it was just articulated 100,000 times better than I ever could. So the first thing I did was just move to reading some women, you know? (laughs) And like at that time, my wife, who was a big reader, was only reading women, you know? So, you know, I would just start picking up her books and okay, now I've got a different perspective a little bit. Um, And then for my, I am 38. So for my 30th birthday, my one 
bookish friend sent me Savage Detectives by Roberto Bolano. And um, and so that I love how like my two touchstones are Infinite Jest and and Savage Detectives because of the two most made <laughs> right like, yeah. but uh, that set me off because I mean I immediately like dove into Latin American you know literature post boom whatever you want to call it and then. Uh, that opened up everything as far as I just kept moving to a different region, a different region, and probably five years ago decided that I was going to focus almost solely on translated literature. And it's been a, a great decision. My reading the past five years has honestly been better than the 15 before that. Why do you think that is? I think one big reason is I'm not reading anymore to try to pretend to want to be a writer myself. So for a long time, that was how I engaged with work was I had that romanticized notion of like, I'm going to write, you know what I mean? And so I was reading people who had very similar experiences to me who grew up in the same exact places and I was looking through their work for kind of clues to how I myself would notice and analyze the world and was taking too much of like a like university literature 101 like process through reading where I would like, you know, look for all of the metaphors and try to find the connections and what the writer meant and stuff like that. Well, when I switched over to translate literature stuff, I just enjoy more. I, I you know, I, I just, there, there's so many more times where I am reading and it's the way that I think a lot of people feel about a movie or a great series or whatever. I'm just happy with the entertainment that is in front of me. And then of course, like now I feel that I'm getting perspectives that are so varied and I'm not looking through it, trying to like shoehorn my own identity into the work. That's interesting. It, yeah. I really like reading the world because they're very different experiences to what I have. And I feel like I learned so much about just different culture and different experiences from reading those type of books. What was the translated ledger book, the first one that sort of knocked your socks off or blew you away? Or, Ooh, It was probably Anna Karenina. Yeah. It was definitely a Russian book. Yep. War and Peace, obviously. Master of Margarita. Yeah. Yeah, like those Russian classics, they, they were really good. In the First Circle, I think, was a big highlight for me, which is Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Which I was said that. that was released like censored originally, and and then they released the uncensored version after the fall of the Soviet Union. So that was an interesting one. Like Russia was definitely my starting point, and then moved over to French, and there was some interesting French books to read, like The Elegance of the Hedgehog. Yep, I actually enjoyed Submission by Michel Welbeck. I thought that was really fascinating. And eventually I made my way over to Latin America because I felt like I was neglecting it. And I, obviously, Bellagio was one of the first I read. One Night in Chile, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. That was the first one I read of his, and I was blown away by that one. But Savage Detectives, probably my favorite for Bellagio. Yeah, it's it's interesting how we came about it in in from different places since my entry was Latin American and, and Bologna yeah. and, and Bologna specifically, I mean, two, six, six, six is still my favorite. And, um, I Savage detectives is probably, you know, fifth or six at this point. Interestingly. I, wow. Yeah. There's a, my, my next favorite is, is called the third Reich, which is considered a minor work. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not one that's you know hugely reviewed or popular in it and i've thought that at some point i probably will do a booktube channel on that one to sort of explain why is it that i think this one but there's a war game aspect to it that i just like i 
I dork, I love that kind of thing, you know? So like, I think that was part of the appeal, but so I read crime and punishment, war and, war and peace. I listened to. So just to be you know, totally. Up <laughs> um, well, it's unless you get it consumed. <laughs> yeah, it, it was consumed, but not, uh, not with. Yeah. But I, crime and punishment was, it was something that I had read uh, you know, during that time when I said I read like three books a year, um, I did, uh, we didn't call it Buddy Reads, but that, that's what it was with somebody with, you know, with Crime and Punishment. And I had, um, you know, Anna Karenina, it was in the same, same kind of area, so early 20s. So I had that passing fam- familiarity with Russian literature. But thinking about it, I actually don't think there's much contemporary Russian literature that I have read or read. It, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't seem like a hot spot in the translated literature sort of community for contemporary. Not no, the Russian classics have pretty much dominated. Soviet literature has its place as well, but contemporary doesn't get much. And I could probably recommend you some short stories. I know how much you love them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of my reading journal journey. I mean, I I want to. You know, when I made my way to BookTube and doing that, and I think I may have told you this before, or maybe I just mentioned the video, but I, I got on Twitter, which I was terrible at because I used to not know how to like block and mute and the American politics stuff made me hate Twitter. And so I, eventually I was able to like learn, <laughs> okay, I don't have to notice all this. And I started... I started looking and like searching for Caesar Aria, Enrique Villamates, and Roberto Bolano in podcasts and in and on Twitter to try to find some people that were talking about it. In one of those searches, uh, I guess a year ago is where I found your podcast, and then from there, like saw that you were curating this whole world, and it was awesome. And then on Twitter is how I found, oddly, another Australian, Damien Keller, I think is how yeah. you know his name, who is I mean, one of the best readers I, I think I've ever followed. I mean, his it, it, it's incredible how much he has read and how much of a resource he is. Well, he did one video, maybe 2017 or, or something, on the Literary Conference by Cesar Area, which is... Um, a writer that I am mixed with, but a book that I love, one of my favorite books. And it was just him sitting there talking about a book. I knew nothing about BookTube. I didn't know it existed, but I was like, oh, this is really cool. Kind of in the back of my head, thought about it. And I just had a lonely 2019 where I started working from home. So my kids were gone all day. My wife was gone all day. And I was reading a lot. And I just, I, I remember I picked up that Laszlo Krasna Harkari and it was so big and I had, no, yeah, I had no one to talk about it with. And it wasn't like my favorite book. I don't even think it made like my top 10 of the year, but it was just one where I was like, okay, I just finished this massive tomb. All right, I'm going to turn on the camera. And I didn't have a microphone, didn't have a camera. I just like on my webcam pressed that and then put it on and pretty shortly, like there was enough people. I mean, I have a very small channel, you know, but one person talking to me about a book that we both love or getting a recommendation is worth it to me. So, do you know what I mean? So it's like not it, it, as soon as that I saw I could communicate with anyone about this. Um, I knew that I had kind of found a community I was pretty excited about. Weirdly enough, it was Jacqueline from Six Minutes to Me that told me about your channel. She reads a lot of Australian literature, but yeah, somehow she discovered your channel and sent it on to me. She's really good about uplifting other people's stuff, especially she is. Yeah. I would say her and then Dan from the Weird Book Club were the first two that like, you know, were tweeting out my stuff and my videos and and letting people know. I kind of knew, you know, from the sidelines, I was like, when is Michael going to see that I'm here and that, <laughs> and that I'm uh, reading this stuff? Because we have one thing I skipped, but we've talked about before. And I think we, you know, we 
we may at some point do something about is that we both have went through, I guess, a big noir phase or like, you know, noir. Yeah. So in, in some video you had, you know, you had mentioned it and I, and I just saw like, oh, here's a reader literally as far away from me physically as I think you could be with Australia and the East Coast of America. Um, and and we are like geeking out and loving the same stuff. Finding that is hard in this world and is valuable when you do. You know. Yeah, BookTube has been good for that. I, I feel like I found some really good uh, people to talk literature about because of that community. Yeah, there's plenty wrong with the community, but we won't dive into that. <laughs> Absolutely, we could do a whole snarky episode, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to do that. No, not a good idea. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, like. I got into blogging originally, but I feel like that really died down and like the community aspect of that kind of died with Google Reader, which was a site where you could like have all your book blogs in the one place to read. So the community kind of died down on that and I tried BookTube because I was looking for another community and wanted to talk about books and I've found plenty of interesting people but I think with my booktube, it was definitely the start of my changing interest from reading a lot of, like exploring a lot of genres into discovering what I really liked and going towards translations. Yeah, interestingly, I found your podcast, the podcast before booktube, and that's just because I am a podcast addict. Uh, I, I listen to a lot. You know, I mentioned I work from home and most of the time I'm working in front of an Excel spreadsheet with a podcast in my ear, listening to something. There are very few good literary podcasts. And then the literary podcasts that discuss books I like, you could count on one hand, you know? So, you know, it was, I found that before BookTube and, and that was the first community I kind of saw. I think I've mentioned before, I never got into the Goodreads community and I noticed that for BookTube, a lot of BookTubers seem to have come from there or reference it at least. Well, I, I use Goodreads just to track my reading, but I also have a spreadsheet for that as well. So, you See, I'm very weird with that. I don't track. I don't have a spreadsheet. I don't write down what I read. I mean, I have my shelf, you know, and I have basically two shelves. I have the large one that is... I've finished this work or this book, and then I have the smaller TBR, you know, shelf. And I mean, by that, I can go look and see, you know, what I've read, but I wouldn't know the year or, or anything like that. That is important to me. And I know this is weird, but like, I really appreciate that lots of people have spreadsheets and track this kind of stuff. But to me, like, I, I almost like, the not knowing as you get older and sort of like, I don't know when I read crime and punishment, do you know what I mean? It just by osmosis is in me. You know what I mean? Like, and so just the way that I am, like, I don't want to look back at something and see that, but I will say like the book one of the benefits that I think about is, you know, if either my son or daughter end up being serious readers, I mean, it would be cool if in 15 years or so they, you know, watched me talk about the books that I loved and then were able to go onto the shelf and pick them up. I'll just have to make a list, probably starting with the book we'll discuss today and also probably Die My Love, of books they are not allowed to read, nor are they allowed to watch my review of. <laughs> okay. Um, can, can, we, can we get a list of these books? Well, I just mean, you know, when there are your own children, you're like, okay, I need you to be at least like 21 before. <laughs> um, what are some books like that? Die by Love, definitely one. Um, <laughs> uh, well, my favorite book of last year, which was also Charco Press, An Orphan World by Giuseppe Caputo. And I, it's not in front of me. I hate that I can't name the translator, but it's not right in front of me. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. So that one is um, the brutal violence enacted against homosexuals. And that one would make it something where I'd, I'd want them to wait a little bit, you know, before we got to that one. 
you have a data review on two six six six. So I haven't. Yeah, and and, in fact, and, and I'm I'm not gonna. I want to talk about that in relation with the book we're gonna review today. So I'll save a couple of thoughts on that, but I don't know if I've have, you you haven't reviewed it either on your channel, have you? I don't think I can. I would love to. I would love to write a review or something. I just don't know if I could put into the words. I don't like, think I can. see weird book clubs review on it. He did it so well, and I don't know if I could even match up to that or get anywhere close. Yeah, he did. And he found the way in, you know, to discuss something such a large work in a creative way. And I don't, I don't, I don't know what that would be for me. You know, I, I can't, I, I think I could maybe do each part separately, but here's the thing. Like I'm not 2666. If you followed me or you were interested enough to watch a video by me then you know who Roberto Bolaño is and you know what that book is. And I don't think that there's anything that I personally can add. Do you know what I mean to where I'm going to do that? So me uploading a video like that would honestly just probably be like, a, oh, let's see how many views I can get. And I really try not to do that. Like, you know, there's not, that's not a book that I personally can offer anything other than if you haven't read it, you should read this. You know what I mean? And maybe one day I should do a video that is that is literally called that. Like, if you haven't read it, you should read this. But, you know, that isn't full reviews. But a full review of that book, you know, and, and like I said, I think I will do the Third Reich. I'm not against reviewing some of those books that I've read before I had a BookTube channel. But there are certain hugely popular books, you know, relatively speaking, but within our community that... I would feel kind of weird about reviewing. Yeah, does that make sense at all, or is it like, or just is it, that too much in it, my? It head? makes it makes sense, but in my head, it's like, am I going to regret not having something on this book written down or on a video or something? That's a good. Point. I I feel like there's going to be times where I read a book that I don't feel like should be reviewed, but. A lot of times I feel like maybe I should just so I have that record. Do you review books that you don't like? Have we ever talked about that? I used to review every book I read. That's how I started. And, and that was good in a way to have that record and to have that written down. But I, I feel like there's a lot of books that there's not much interesting to say or I don't feel like I have anything worth contributing to it or it's just not that good. I I've I've been very slack in reviewing, which I do regret at times, and I wish I had reviewed a lot of books. But it's just trying to find that like speck of something interesting to say to actually sit down and write it or record it. I have a goal. I'm trying to stick to this year of of two reviews a week, and obviously the craziness with the world will shake some of that up. And yeah. there are times when you're reading something so massive because and I, I, I think I mentioned this in the BTBA episode, but I read one book at a time, which I know is crazy. But so if you're reading something so massive that, of course, you're not going to be able to get to, to two. But I, but what I'll do is I'll I'll have a backlog, you know, of, of three or four, you know, kind of smaller titles that I've I've made my notes on and I can do my review while I read a big tome. But anyway, I try I try to do two a week, but I did make the decision about six months ago or so, maybe four months ago, I forget, to not review books that I had nothing nice to say about and also nothing interesting to say about. So there was there was one book, Professor Anderson's Night, that I had nothing nice to say about, but I thought I had something interesting to say about. So I did review that. But if I have neither, then I, then I'm not going to review it, you know. And that doesn't even mean I hate it. I mean, there there was a, a a recent book I read that was fine, you know, but there was no reason to do a review on it. So I have moved away from you know reviewing everything I read as kind of keeping this historical record. I feel like my last two reviews on my YouTube channel have been nothing but complaints. 
What were your last two reviews, the chronologically? There was Alpine International Booker Books. Uh, Faces on the Tip of My Tongue. Okay. Which I, it wasn't really a review, it was just a complaint that the book in French is like 300 pages. The publisher decided to cut it down to about 150 pages. I remember the English version. Yeah. And, and I know what the other review is. I, I know what the other. It's, it's got to be serotonin, right? That's the other. Serotonin, yes, yeah. it definitely was. <laughs> I actually thought that was one. I, I really enjoyed your review of that as someone who is not going to read it, you know, like, and, and, and not going to read it as, listen, there's just too much out there, you know, and I'm not personally interested in, in him, even though I'm, even though I am aware that he is a good writer, if that makes sense, you know, it's just that, that that's not the stuff that I personally want to read right now, but I liked getting your review. Cause it's like, I felt like I got a sense of the thing, but we also got to laugh a little bit about how like absurd he is. Yeah, I do admit I haven't watched all your videos, mainly because a lot of the books I plan to read at some point, I don't want to be tainted by a review yet. Yep. But have you thought about doing anything apart from reviews on your channel? I have thought about it. I don't know yet. I haven't made a decision. I, I am not, I don't have an interest in book haul videos, which are popular on, on YouTube. Um, yeah no particular reason it's just not the content that i'm drawn to as a viewer and i've kind of always want to create something that i would want to watch of course i I mean i like the list you know uh, and i did a year-end list and i'll probably do a mid-year list that's kind of an easy you know easy one and not very frequent uh the book tags are i am always amazed at the creativity of some of these people to be able to shoehorn and I don't mean that negatively, I actually mean it positively, but to be able to like take a tag and, and find something to say about it amongst what they've read, I couldn't do it. And so I'm not a big fan of the book tags uh, for me. I'm going to, I think it's Sean, the book maniac who his book tags are excellent. I mean, he does a really good job at, at like, you know, the sentence tag or start the letter H tag, you know, like as far as like, introducing it you know with new books but i'm not personally you know into that for me i can't think of any other type that i'd want to really do i don't and i think that's part of the problem is that like if i thought of or if i could steal somebody's super creative idea of a way to do something other than reviews then i might but i really love the reviews because I have a, my, my vision is that someone has just finished the book and is super excited and goes on YouTube searches, finds my video and can hear for 15 minutes, me talk about what it meant to me and what I thought about it. Or someone is thinking about reading the book or has heard of the book and they watch my video and make their decision based on that. So for that reason, I don't do spoilers but I do talk about themes and I talk about the way that I engage with the book, you know, in, you know, in the, in the broader context of literature, but those are the two. And I want to feel like that guy that you're sitting next to at a coffee shop, who's really annoying and has an open book, closes it, finishes the book. And then you make the mistake of saying, Oh, what did you just read? And then I talk nonstop for 15 minutes like that (laughs) that's my artistic style and as you can tell from even doing one and a half podcasts with me it fits my personality as well yeah I I like as you mentioned I like the idea of maybe going back and talking about some of the books that you've read that you would recommend that probably would be a good one to add to the rotation yeah I think so I think maybe next time I'm I'm looking at my my TBR and I only see one massive one. So I think maybe when I am am in the middle of a really really big book next, I'll I'll do that. Like that way I can kind of hit my two a week and and just discuss some you know some of the previous ones. My my issue with that honestly is I did that with Mac and his problem last year, where I read it in the very beginning of the year and then. 
uh, nine months later reviewed it. And there was a noticeable drop off. I felt in the quality of my review, you know, it's a I, difficult book to review. It is difficult. And I used it as an opportunity to talk about him as a writer, which I could do all, all day. I mean, I'm very familiar with his work. I love his work. So that part was fine. But the actual book, like I, you know, I don't go back and watch my reviews. Only when I'm editing do I see it, you know, read it, you know. And I just remember during the edit thinking, I didn't actually discuss this book very much now, did I? <laughs> That's my favorite type of reviews is reviewing the book without talking about the book (laughs) (laughs) i can get away with talking 15 minutes about something and not actually talk about it (laughs) yeah i have some uh political rants on mine that are that i i always have to question whether or not i should just take this out uh at you know because you don't want to lose viewers by talking about uh politics and religion right you say you do two reviews a week is that something, was that your normal reading pace or is that something that's kind of made you, like has BookTube pressured you to speed up your reading? Or No, my normal reading pace is probably three books a week. Uh, that's, okay. an, that's an average, but yeah, probably three books a week is my normal pace. Yeah, I was just curious if BookTube has influenced your reading in, in any way. The way that it's influenced my reading is I never before did marginalia or wrote in books. I do do that now as I will highlight a section and and write in my own little notes. And I, I've enjoyed that, actually. I don't, you know, I stopped thinking of books as such sacred objects that I couldn't defile them with my thoughts. But it's that's changed. And then I do think that I read a bit slower when I know I'm going to review something, you know, because I'm trying to take it seriously. Right. Like I know, you know, obviously I'm not a professional, but I want to be good at it, you know? And, and so I do read a bit slower and a bit with more of a critical eye. I think that's definitely changed. Other than that, I don't think anything has changed. I may, there may have been a couple of books that I've picked up, off of long lists that in years past I wouldn't have just because I want to review it. But honestly, at this stage of my channel, I I would like to pick up, you know, some more viewers. And so I think it's probably a good idea. Like, I know it goes against what I said with 2666, but, you know, let's go to something not quite as famous, but more, okay, we know about this book. This is an accessible you know, book, because sometimes I admit, especially like that translated noir series that I've been doing right now, those are really, really niche, you know, like, I mean, that that's going to be, you're not going to build up any kind of audience talking about like those books. (laughs) I try to think of a translated noir book that would get views that I couldn't think of one. Maybe Fatal. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. Or uh, what about Vertigo? Maybe. Maybe because someone thought they were searching for the film. <laughs> well, the film is based on it. So no, I know. Maybe, yeah, maybe after after the film they want to know, you know, what. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, there, there's not much. No, noir is, I mean, we won't go off a tangent, but, but, but noir is something that American literature has done pretty well, you know, you know. Yeah, it stacks up well, uh, and and there's many areas, uh, especially philosophical literature, where America is does not stack up well. You said you don't read Ayn Rand. I don't. I read The Fountainhead. <laughs> it was actually in high school. The Fountainhead was assigned to me. I had to read what? About, <laughs> yes, wow. I had to read about the little jerk architect who uh, sexually assaulted uh, someone. And then that person was thankful for it happening because they got to be close to genius. And that is everything I remember about Fountainhead. <laughs> did you grow up in the South? I did. I grew up in the South. I grew up, um, you know, where the Civil War in some history classes was called the War of Northern Aggression. So that gives you an idea of, yeah. That that explains your extreme politics. Exactly. Yes. I, I, I have no. 
I have found actually, no, it's true. I have found people that grow up in one extreme that are not like that. They honestly, like me, probably come out on the other side, the other extreme. So I am maybe perhaps an extreme leftist, thanks to Southern Baptism, Baptist. I I was going to clarify, I wasn't calling you an extreme right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Do you want to talk about this book? I do. You want to introduce it? As best as we can, thanks to this pandemic, we are going to try and talk about Hurricane Season by Fernanda Mature, which was translated by Sophie Hughes. I just put this out there. By the time this comes out for everyone, I would have interviewed Sophie Hughes about her translations in general, but she does talk about this book in that as well. Well, I am extremely excited to listen to that because I can't imagine what a beast this was to translate. Yeah, I think it was interesting because she, uh, the way she described it, she thinks it was a good job of trying to explore different sides of everything that was happening. The people, like, never try to be chastising someone or aggressive about someone. The kind of treated everyone as an equal and tried to play out each person's thoughts and how they viewed the world without trying to condemn them. And I thought that was an interesting way to like describe it. That is, that's actually, yeah, that's quite beautiful and not something I would have picked up on my own, but that does kind of the case. Yeah. And, and also that each person is given enough of, like you understand enough of their backstory to where even if they engage in horrible acts and many of them will, it's not that you forgive. It's not that you, but, but you have an understanding like there's, there's a tough type of empathy, you know, that, that for some of even the hardest and worst characters. Yeah. It's just thinking about it. I'm reminded of, the film City of Gods, which is a Brazilian film, where they like talk about the systematic oppression of the people and how the way they are brought up affects how they turn out and you know the I, poverty plays out on them and how the community treated them plays out on how they're shaped as a person. Yeah, you know, I, I had not thought of that, but that would be a great double feature with this book. I mean, that, that, that it's a really excellent kind of companion because you're dealing with grotesque within poverty and what poverty might do to a community in, in kind of similar ways. I, I, I struggled to compare this to other books, but maybe film is, is actually a better medium to, yeah. you know. I, I can't compare it with another book, but if I was describing the writing style, I probably would say it's like a noir meets southern gothic style well interestingly i so she did the author did a twitter like q a yeah and so i followed that and in it someone asked her for her um writing influences now other than booksellers other writers are like my favorite thing to you know steal you know ideas for what to read next and she mentioned an American writer, Dennis Cooper, who I had heard of on the periphery but never read. And then I put something on Twitter that just said, you know, has any, can anybody recommend something? And she actually responded with with uh, a book. So I got that book. I, I'm, it's, I'm about halfway through. It's pretty short. And I can absolutely see where because of the, the um, violence – the violence aspects, you know, are are somewhat similar. I can see why it is. But, but I thought it was interesting that here's this like kind of very small indie press American writer, you know, that was one of her influences. That's the only, and, and, and obviously she said that one. So it's not like I came up with that one, but I do, when I first read about this book, of course I thought about Bolaño's 2666 as we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, because there is, I don't know if it was in a blur, but I mean, it definitely, I think people talk about, you know, the part about 
the the part about the crimes, the part about death, which is what's the actual title for the for the two six six where they go over all of the garment workers um, dying. The is it the part about? It's not called. It's not called the part about the killings. It's just a well, part four. I mean, I guess it's just part. Yeah, four. part four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't but, know. Yeah, well, so you know, I think that that particular part, you know, they thought. I thought it was going to be similar to, and what I found interesting was it was not like part four in two, six, six, six was a very detached sort of investigative notes that bludgeoned you emotionally by the sheer volume of them, but had no personal details about the victims while they were alive, you know, like, Everything was post-mortem. So it was, here's how the clothes were strewn, and here's what she was wearing. Here's where she was found. Here's where the marks were. And and what it did for me is like, you know, true crime stuff is, is so huge and, and popular in so many different mediums. And that, if you just read part four, 2666, the fourth part, it, it might dispel you of, of, of wanting to continue to constantly be following true crime stuff because it, (laughs) you know, because it overloads you. Well, this goes much more into hurricane season is different because it is about the lives, like the actual living that the violence, both the victims and the perpetrators of are going through. And, and so I, that I thought that was quite different. Whereas in the beginning, I did think there was going to be some similarities. Yeah. I like that it started off with, this is a crime and then we work backwards and look at different aspects of what was going on. But I realized we haven't really described what the book is about, <laughs> which might help people that haven't read it. Yeah. So how would you describe it? The, it, the blurb basically says the witch is dead, but <laughs> how would you describe that person? She's like a, woman in the village that is people are scared of she helps women with trying to get their abortion and look after them she she's not really a doctor but she's said looking after the women that have gone through huge things but i don't know how how would you describe this woman which is an apt description if you are able to remove some of the negative connotation of of that yeah you know while also understanding that she will be seen by society as a witch you know but yeah this is the woman is i imagine her you know living on a hill in a very interesting but sort of decrepit home and when you are at the lowest point you are going to perhaps visit her and she has some combination of wisdom experience and aura that is going to in some way help you, you know, but that ability is going to be seen very negatively by the, the rest of the society there. I, I think that's, yeah. that's how I would describe yeah. her. And, and she is an object almost always. So she is an object of fascination for some, an object of derision and hatred for others, an object of healing, a sexual object, but she's always sort of everything about the witch is what can the witch do for you? Yeah. And I kind of feel like sometimes she plays on that persona of the witch to, like, keep herself safe from in many ways. But I just realised I don't actually know when this book is set. Do you have an idea of a year? It could be nowadays. It could be 100 years ago. I think it's more of a contemporary setting, but... I was trying to think if there's any signpost. I, I can't recall one. I mean, I, th- yeah. I think, yeah, because even the one, the one big twist, which I don't, I don't think we'll 
we'll discuss necessarily. Yeah. Even that is not signposted in a way to let us know if it's a contemporary thing, because it could be, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the twist itself could have been written in a way to tell us what time period it is in, but it was not. And that was probably purposeful to maybe. Yeah. So maybe that's a clue that we are not to be, we're not to consider it a time period. Yeah. Like, like I keep trying to reflect on the time period. Like she could have a medical background. She could have that knowledge, but nothing really kind of plays out. It kind of tries to give it that sense of mystery, that sense of this is a medicine woman living outside of the society, just helping people that need the help. And that terrifies the rest of the community because she has the wisdom and the skills to be able to heal people. Yeah. So you want to talk briefly about the structure? The, the structure of the, of the novel is different and interesting. I saw like a Guardian article that was sort of like the headline was not super kind, but it was, it said something to the effect of four short paragraph, you know, yeah. Well, shortlisted for Booker. And first off, none of the paragraphs are short. So I don't know what that person was thinking or doing. Yeah. I have no idea. I remember saying that and just, just discarding it, not reading the article because I just, it doesn't feel like it's an apt description of the book. No, I felt like it was somebody who has no knowledge of contemporary literature. Listen, we talked earlier about, or I, I mentioned Laszlo Krasnokari. So these are long sentences, which he does. No. Hawkeye. Is that it? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it took me ages to learn. I, it's, it's a struggle, isn't it? <laughs> it's a struggle. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. So some of the sentences are very long. Paragraphs are long. I found it I found it difficult because of the structure and of course what the subject matter is because this is violent. Um to find my pauses. Did you Yeah. I'm not really a fan of long sentences. Like at times, like some of Laszlo Krasner Hawkeye's books, like The Wolf, I really enjoyed, which was one sentence long. Yeah. But when it comes to like the Baron Homecoming, whatever that one's called. I really struggle to get through it. Like it starts to pick up steam, but sometimes long sentences just need to be broken up. The gimmick doesn't need to be there all the time. I'm going to have to disagree a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, when it's done well, I love the gimmick and I agree. I'm fine with calling it a gimmick. You know, I, I, I think that a flourish is how I would put it, but um, it it works. Literary gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a literary device. Let's a call it stylistic choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and listen, you are the one, not me, who I believe read an a thousand page single sentence book last year. So I think we're we're talking about Ducks Newburyport. The fact that that just phrased the fact that I just changed that to a full stop. Oh, okay. Okay. So well, in I, my head, that was the break. That, that, that makes, that makes some sense. So here you do, and these sentences are not as long as. No, they're not. That, let me try it. Krajna Hakwari. <laughs> Krajna Hawkeye. Yeah. These sentences just are think not. Think of a superhero. Krajna Hawkeye. <laughs> so these sentences are not that long. But, but but they're long and the text, the the the, the physical um, looking at the text, you know, it's justified. In the yeah. Future. And so it, it's a big block. And uh, just that with the subject matter can make it hard to, to find your breath and, and your pause. It, that's not at all a, criti a criticism of the book. It, it's just you're going to read this probably slower than other other books. That's kind of all I wanted to say about the uh, about the structure of it. I just thought it was worth mentioning since I've seen at least that one Guardian article that is yeah, been a little, you know. Having said that, we, we, we are English-speaking people, so 
being a different coming from a different language the way they write the sentence structures can be very different to mm-hmm. how we see sentence structures i know for example agnes who is uh, latvian she they said they have long sentences okay. and when she writes in english she has to go back and like split it into shorter sentences because that's just the way they talk. That's the, just the way they write. That's really interesting, yeah. Yeah, so so when you think about these long sentences, maybe that's just the way things are written. It might not be a stylistic choice. It might be just the actual way they write, the way they express it. Yeah. So do you want to talk about a couple of some of the other characters? I don't know if I want to go into too much. Is there something there in the characters you want to discuss? I just worry about taking too much, you know, like giving too much away. Maybe we've said, maybe you said enough in the very beginning when you talked about her response on the on the translation. This The book is set up in terms of a mystery of who killed the witch. Yes. I personally, while reading it, and I don't think this spoils anything, found that to not be important important no no i agree it was more about like exploring the different people around the community and the different reactions towards her i think played a big part in like developing the story so it's a bit of a trick which is neat the the character there's a character norma that i'm just very very fascinated with yeah. Um, th- you know, that that's who I was thinking of when I, when I asked about sort of the other peripheral characters. And, and I think it's just because the treatment that, sh- that, that she gets is kind of lovely in a way, even though the stuff is very dark, you know, I just worry about taking some of that joy of discovery out of it. I, yeah. For people that read it. Uh, there's probably a lot you could probably say about the characters. It's just for people that haven't read the book, don't want to give too much away, obviously. But there are, uh, like, it is very gruesome. It's very difficult to read, I found. Yes. Especially near the end, it kind of, I felt like it went maybe a little too overboard with the graphic depiction. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know that I can say, listen, it was more than I personally wanted to stomach. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. It was too, yeah. You know, but, and- I, but you know, when you read stuff like when it comes to like bestiality, there's a lot of times where it's put in there to like shock you. And but I feel like it had a place in this book, it did, yeah. Like, I feel like it needed to be there to like depict the world that it's trying to create. And like sometimes it's just put in there to make you feel sick or make you shocked. But I think in this book, everything kind of had a purpose and it just built on that purpose to like create this world. And it is difficult to read. It is very difficult to read in some parts. I think that just added to the beauty of the whole thing. I agree. Yeah. I think that very well said it, you will feel, I think, sick to your stomach, but that it did feel necessary. And you're right that so many times you read that stuff in a book and you feel like it's uh, a flourish back to that word, as opposed to actually, you know, helping some sort of thematic cause. Uh, Whereas here, it almost feels true. I mean, this is a weird thing to say about this book, but it, there is a realism to it, despite the fantastic nature of it, it it does have a sense where it feels like a thing that happened, you know? So in that way, some of the gruesome nature of things feels like, well, I have to report this because this is the way that it happened. I guess if you wanted to like describe it, I would maybe use a literary term. Charles Bukowski is probably best known to, and that is dirty realism where we are depicting the worst of the worst and exploring the darker side of humanity. 
in a way that is interesting and needs to be told. Yeah, and I, on that note, I don't know if you think it's too soon to talk about this at all, but I was, because of that, surprised the reception that it's getting. I mean, yeah, this is... It's shortlisted, right, on the Man Booker. For the yeah, shortlisted for the International Booker. For for the language that's in here and for how difficult this is to read, I am really surprised. Pleasant I'm actually surprised. Yeah. I feel like I feel like maybe Valerie Lacelli has something to do with that. It just has that feel of her like she's She's obviously Mexican as well, and she writes about the horrors of the world in such a way that I feel like the influence of getting this book to the shortlist is probably thanks to her. I think you're right. I don't want to guess at the room, you know what I mean? Because I think sometimes that can feel like, oh, okay, this person is of this nationality, so they pulled it in. But the fact that they're exploring similar subjects in wildly different ways, by the way, I mean, you know, but yeah, uh, I, I think, I think that could be, could be true, but this is, you know, for this book, this book was released in the United States by new directions in the United States. New directions is the premier, you know, calling them indie at this point is probably not true. You know I mean? They are, <laughs> they're huge. And yes. then, yeah. And then Fitzcarraldo. I don't know if I could call them small press. <laughs> I don't think I could. No, absolutely not. I mean, they are a hugely influential translated literature yeah. press, you know. And then in in the UK, it's a Fitzcarraldo edition. Now, Fitzcarraldo is a small press, of course. Under but, five employees. Yes, under five employees. <laughs> but Fitzcarraldo editions has a track record now of putting out award winning contemporary like instant classic great literature so for i think this is is this her debut it is she won the pen yeah so for for this so for a debut author to be new directions and fitzcarraldo i mean that yeah that's a big deal i mean i i mean you know that that's a yeah i don't know if there's much more to say about this but i hope people read it i feel like it's something that's really going to be important to the literary culture especially with mexican literature i think it's definitely going to be a standout and i'm excited to read a lot more of what she writes i know sophie hughes is actually working on a non-fiction book of hers yeah that'll be interesting yeah i don't think there is much more to say this uh you know it's it's a mystery book, so yeah, you have to read it. You know, I mean, we can't. There's a limit to what we can tell you without spoiling. Yeah, I don't want to use the word. The word is weird here, but <laughs> without feeling the discovery, it, it'll stick with you, though. Wow, it'll yeah. stick with you. What was the Dennis Cooper book that she recommended? It's called Closer. Closer. Ah. Oh. That's not yeah. the one I, not one of the ones I've heard of. Part of a series. I thought I had brought it up, but I did not because I was going to show you the cover since we're doing this on video, at least me and you part. But um, yeah, Closer, which is the first part of a George Miles series about one character. And cool. um, yeah, it's cool. It's it's It has some of the violence, a couple of the things that make it perhaps an inspiration would delve into parts that we shouldn't discuss of hurricane season if that makes sense yeah. do you know what i mean fair like enough. yeah that's fair enough yeah yeah the main one that people talk about when talking about dennis cooper is normally the sluts which i think Dan yes. from yep. um, weird book club did a review on i think he did or maybe it was Adam from Memento Mori. We, Thank you for being on the episode. I guess there'll probably be plenty more episodes with you on there. We've got lots to talk about. <laughs> I hope I will leave all your links to YouTube and Twitter. That's the main places to find you. Yeah. 
have to find out ways to talk about noir and all the other things. Yeah, we'll have to find a a, a place to put our our noir thoughts as well as uh, some film some film stuff as well. Which yeah, you need to your channel your channel was going to to do some more movie reviews. I'm ready for them. I have filmed a review on Midsummer. I just need to edit it and maybe put some stuff. Not really a review, more a thought process. Well, I'm excited for that. That was uh, Midsommar, Parasite, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood were my three favorite movies last year. Oh, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's very fun. I don't know. I don't think I have a foot fetish. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have foot fetish not required. Um, but Brad, I mean, Brad Pitt on the screen is just mesmerizing and the use of him and his humor is tremendous, but yeah, I recommend it. It's nowhere near, listen, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's not near Midsommar and Parasite, which each of those have important and cool things to say about modern culture. Once upon a time in Hollywood is a love letter to film and to Hollywood itself. If you want to support Lost in Translations, please go to patreon.com forward slash translations pod and all money there will help support the show. And please remember to subscribe and while subscribing, please rate the show. This will help others find the podcast. All our links to social media are in the show notes and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and let's see under translations pod. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wolgarukaba and Bindal people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a Macaulay Flower production.